0: Hey, what's up, everybody? This is the Post Money Plan Podcast. You can find us at postmoneyplan.com or search the Post Money Plan in the iTunes Podcast app. This upload is coming to you May 24th, 2017. We believe empowerment comes through knowledge, so our purpose here is to inform, educate, and stimulate thought on topics within personal finance, economics, and investing. Today, we're going to be doing an update on digital currencies. We did a an introductory podcast on digital currency back in October 2016 where I had a panel of guys we were talking about the basics of digital currency and then some of the theory behind digital currency and the purpose and concept and its potential in the money system. So, digital currencies have been going crazy recently. So I just wanted to update everybody and talk about some of the things that have been going on. Like I said, We did the Basics podcast back in October 2016, and I had Abel Syed on the podcast back then, and so I have him on again today. And then we'll have Stephen Ngau, who was also on the podcast before, is going to be joining us in a little bit. So welcome to the show, Abe.
1: Thanks for having me back, man. I'm excited to talk about what's been going on since our last conversation.
0: Yeah, exactly. So Just to recap a little bit of what we talked about back in the one in October, we went over what digital currencies are, why digital currencies have come to prominence over the last several years, really basically since the recession in 2008, and then how digital currencies work on a somewhat technical basis, and now how they're starting to be regulated a bit, some of their pros and cons, and then what the future might look like for digital currencies. After that discussion, I, myself, on a personal level, was intrigued and wanted to look into them more for a potential investment because of their purpose and the potential in the future. Let me cover real quick some of the events that have been going on over the last six months since we had the introductory podcast. Back in October, Bitcoin was somewhere between like $600 to $700 per Bitcoin, and Ether was between like $11 and $13 per Ether. Shortly after that, Ether had a hard fork, which split the blockchain and caused a sell-off where Ether fell down to almost like six bucks. So it actually fell down quite a bit from where I bought in. And I thought about buying more then and was kind of trying to convince some friends to buy in. But anyway, it fell to about a little over six bucks by the beginning of December. And then once the programmers handled that, both Bitcoin and Ether saw a big run-up back in December and then right at the beginning of 2017 Bitcoin ran up to 1160 and Ether almost hit 12 bucks then that's when Bitcoin came crashing down to 770 as the Chinese government announced tightening of capital controls cuz they were trying to restrict quote unquote money laundering and stuff like that of course that when the Chinese government did that that had an impact cuz there's a lot of Chinese buyers or investors in Bitcoin so that had a, a shock to digital currencies. But then by March, it had started to run up again. And then the Winklevoss twins, if you've seen the movie uh, The Social Network, they're the brothers who said Mark Zuckerberg stole the Facebook idea from them. Well, they're actually real yeah. people. <laughs> and <laughs> right. they have been trying to get into the Bitcoin arena, and they've been trying to form a Bitcoin ETF. So they had filed an application with the SEC, the U.S. regulator that regulates the stock market. So they had been trying to get approved for a Bitcoin ETF so that it could be traded on the the U.S. stock market so that people could derivatively be investing in Bitcoin through the stock market. Anyway, that was seen as something that was going to add some credibility to Bitcoin. So it had some run up there. Well, the SEC rejected the Bitcoin ETF. I think we're talking March now. So at first, people took that negatively, and Bitcoin had drifted down for a couple of weeks. Abe, I don't know if you remember how much it came down, like 15% or so? Bitcoin yeah, it dropped a good amount, actually. Do you because remember how drop. much? And actually, I bought in a little bit after that. But then despite all that, digital currency started going absolutely bonkers in late April, and now through May, like they've just been absolutely going crazy. That's the
1: thing. Man. There's so many negative factors. Like, it's, like you said, it's not still being used as a, much as a transactional currency. And well, ETF is still not accepting it.
0: I'd say the, yeah. the first fundamental news, initial inklings of like fundamental changes is where we got some news out of Japan where they're starting to yep. put it into law. It's
1: legitimized, it's legitimized over there, I think. And I think it's much more legitimized there than here. And it's just that bubble, I think, is being caused largely by Japanese investors.
0: Yeah, so that legitimacy is, is really attracting people to pour money into it and, and creating the uh, cascading effect, the melt-up, if you will. So now Bitcoin has passed two thousand. We're at above twenty-two hundred, and ethers one seventy or, or so. Abe, tell us a little bit about the thinking that went on in your mind, and then what you ended up doing after our last podcast.
1: Yeah, so I remember our last conversation mostly focused around, I think, at that point, Bitcoin. That was what my focus kind of was since that point. I have kind of branched out a little bit recently, but most of my purchasing has been in Bitcoin. And what I did was actually I just kind of monitored the market for Bitcoin and tracked it. And I noticed it was sticking around between maybe $650-$700 for about the month after our conversation.
0: So we're talking like October-November?
1: Yeah, October-November. There was a little bit of growth, but nothing not a major movement. And actually, I made my first purchase looking at that constant growth, thinking, you know, maybe I should get into this, seeing as it's in the nice steady, showing nice steady growth for the past, since basically July had I been, mean, Moving up steadily. So what I did is I made a purchase of 500 US dollars on November 25th of 16. At that point, it was about 0.68 Bitcoin. And the price at that point was $734 per Bitcoin. And I didn't do any other transactions until the end of December. And it actually had gone up about 200 bucks to $921. And I kept just seeing that constant growth. I was like, I should get more into this. Spend more money. And I bought more Bitcoin about 0.54, or so I put another 500 bucks. And at that point it was, I mean, it just kept going up. And I noticed a couple weeks later, it had gone up another 130 bucks. At that point it was 1057 dollars per Bitcoin. So I put another 500, just keeping that steady influx of US dollars into it and building up sizable number of Bitcoin. And actually what I did was I kind of stayed steady because I noticed that it was spiking up and down a little bit within the next couple of months. So between January and April of 2017, it dipped a bit back under 900 bucks, around midpoint of January. But then I noticed it started going up again over the next couple of months. It kind of get back to its ceiling of 1050, which is where I made that purchase at the beginning of January. Once I started noticing some more growth at the beginning of April, I made another purchase. This time, oh, actually this time same for the same amount for 500 bucks. At that point, it was at 1093. So at this point, I had to spend, I had put in $2,000 over the course of maybe five months from November 25th to April 1st. And that number of Bitcoin that I accumulated was 2.15. And truly after this is when you started seeing that recent massive surge. So from March 25th, where it was priced at 952, there's been just constant, constant growth. And then, over the next month, through the month of April, it actually went up about $400, $500. I didn't buy anything at that point. I should have probably bought some at that point because I kind of figured maybe it's going to bottom out again, but it just kept going up. And in the next couple of weeks, it actually went up by another $300 to give specific numbers. May 1st, it was at 1443 and then May 10th, it was at 1797 So that kind of shows you the kind of growth that's been going at that point, that had been $600 worth of growth in about a five-week span. And I actually decided then on May 12th, seeing this constant growth even faster than before, I made another purchase of $1,000 this time, which is only 0.54 Bitcoin, which kind of tells you when I made that first purchase of $500 in November, that was for 0.68. And I'm making that $1,000 purchase in May, it was only 0.54 Bitcoin. And at that point, it was priced at 1838 So it just kind of shows the recent growth since about the end of March. I haven't made any purchases until about last week. And you can tell right now it's at 2176 or thereabouts. And it's been hovering around 2250 all day today. So I definitely made a pretty good profit on that so far. I've accumulated 2.7 Bitcoin total over that five-month span. And that's putting in total of 3,000 US dollars. At the current price of twenty one seventy four, that's a total valuation at this point of fifty eight sixty two, which is a dollar profit of
0: twenty eight hundred dollars. So almost one hundred percent return. Good deal. You got some ether too, didn't you? Yeah. So kind of going along with following what you've been doing and stuff, I decided to get into it on April or on March twentieth is when I made my first purchase.
1: It was hovering around I think twelve bucks when we talked back in October. Yeah. And it didn't really make much movement through basically end of February is when it actually started growing again. It had hovered, it was at 13, 12, 11. Yeah, so it stayed around there. And then the inflection point was, I'd say, mid-February when it was around 1287. And then on March 1st, it was at 1909. So there was that growth at the end of February. And I think you had bought, you already purchased your portion way before that, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, I'll uh, I'll get into that. I'll after get into
1: that. Yeah. Year. So talking with you and seeing the return you've been getting, and then just looking at the graph and the growth, it spiked 25 bucks between March first and the end of March, April first, 35 bucks. And then actually, I made oh. that purchase on the 20th when it was at 43 bucks. I didn't make a huge investment. I made 202. Did you say
0: 202? 200 bucks. Oh, $202 and 33 cents.
1: Well, yeah. See, I, I forget because I have to factor in the, the fee. So I kind of put that into my value calculations because, you know, it's, oh, yeah. it's been on it. Yeah, yeah. so, you know, it's $2.98, $2.98 fee. <laughs> it's a little annoying, but you know, that's part of the, using their program or their uh, marketplace. And then on May 4th, I made a purchase of one ether at a hundred bucks. And I actually made my big purchases this past Friday. I made a $1,000 purchase. And at that point, I mean, it was already well up to 90 bucks or close to a hundred bucks at that point. Yeah. Between the two days, because I bought 500 bucks one day, 500 bucks the next day, and between those two days, the value changed dramatically.
0: (laughs) It's so crazy, right? Yeah. It's just insane. I
1: was talking about Bitcoin earlier, but like this is just a different level of growth. So actually it was like one twenty seven on Friday and then one hundred eighty six on Saturday. <laughs> yeah, so that, I mean I haven't really seen much return in that. I've made a total of twelve point two Ether that I own. I put in thirteen hundred and twenty bucks into that US dollars. With today's price, which actually has gone down since I did this.
2: Right now, I think it's at one sixty eight. It's
0: moving around a lot, but yeah. Yeah, it's so volatile,
1: it's crazy. I've made eight hundred bucks on it. Which is actually pretty good. I mean, basically, since I bought most of it in the past few days, so I already made an $800 return. <laughs> so total, if you combine both, I mean, that's right now pretty much up between $3,500 4000 Nice. Yeah. But as you're about to say, I mean, that's compared to what you've uh, accomplished.
0: Well, okay. You'll
1: probably get into that.
0: What about the investment thesis or the uh, the thinking behind putting money in the first place? Like, what was your thinking mm-hmm.
1: You know, after a conversation, I just wanted to track it for a bit. And at that point, I didn't really know much about Ethereum or the other alt cryptocurrencies, as they're known. I pretty much focused on Bitcoin because that that had the most history, the most growth, the most data points. So that being that kind of analytical mind, I just wanted to make sure I was comfortable with the growth that was shown and not think there could be any sort of downturn. And the stability is what kind of got me into it because I figured, you know, there is upside there, but the downside didn't seem to be that bad at that point when I got into it at the end of November. And I didn't want to put in too much right away because, you know, being risk adverse and just not naturally wanting to put in a lot of capital that I don't want to lose. I put in here and there in increments, basically 500 bucks four times over the course of five months just to make sure that I'm not putting in too much. And then the more growth that there was and the more stability that it showed and the constant growth is what kind of kept me going and kept me reinvesting and reinvesting. And it just seems like What's happening over the past couple months, Bitcoin, and then the past month, Ether. It's getting me a lot more optimistic about it, and a lot less. Like I, I'm thinking about making a sizable purchase in the near future, even even with its growth that's had. I think there's still a lot of room for upside, just because it, like I was telling you earlier, there's like nothing precedent with this, right? This is a kind of market. There's not like a commodity market. It's not like a stock market. It's not like a traditional currency market. I mean, there's very little data. It's a very recent entity that can be traded upon and i don't think everyone's entirely sure what's driving up price and what's causing the price fluctuations i think there's so much
0: supply and demand demand. man yeah but i mean what's causing that increase of demand it's just a snowball yeah follow the leader kind of effect of everyone jumping on the bandwagon
1: the thing i think is like i think there's still like if how many if you went around and asked people you know what bitcoin is what percentage of people are going to say they know what it is just walking around like a random sample in your neighborhood
0: so because of the, the the huge run-up in 2013 news and places started talking about bitcoin and that's the reason why people have potentially heard of bitcoin most people that are outside of the sphere of being interested in this stuff but even then it's just like oh i've heard of this thing i don't really understand it and i feel like right. we're kind of in that round two of that stage and now it's like not just bitcoin but all of them where it's having this explosion upward of all these digital currencies are, are skyrocketing up. And the higher they go, the more people are going to talk about them and the, the more casual people are going to become interested in the market. Exactly. And it'll create and think, that awareness. I think
1: that's even bigger, like, plus for Ether, is that there's even far less knowledge about Ether than Bitcoin to the common casual consumer, right? Yeah. So I think that upside is built into that. Like you said, if there's a snowball effect with people getting more interest, I think, like I said before, I think the media hasn't really even covered this recent spike very much. Like I don't see many articles about it in CNBC, Wall Street Journal type media sites, right? I don't see any coverage, really. And I think what's going to fuel another possible surge in the future is if people get, we can talk about the U.S. dollar and traditional currency and turmoil maybe in the socioeconomic climate. People might turn to something like this as, oh, this seems to be a stable source of currency, right? That isn't governed by banks or the government, right? Or controlled by the government.
0: I I was going to get into that in a bit, but...
1: Yeah, yeah, I didn't mean to jump into that.
0: But but Bitcoin actually came about right around 2008 because of what was going on with the recession and market economies crashing and central banks floundering and trying to do all, all this hula hoops to fix the economy and people started to have their doubts and whether the system was self-sufficient and whether the traditional central banks were able to sustain the system and so that i think is what originally gave rise to the possibility of bitcoin in the first place and
1: right yeah that that makes a lot of sense because i think 2010 is when it really first started you could really start first buying it right seven years ago
0: Well, it it first came onto the scene when it was like this anonymous in October 2008. There was this guy, pseudonym person, Satoshi Nakamoto, who published a white paper on the internet about the theory of Bitcoin and the blockchain. And that's when it first came onto the scene.
1: No, I was going to say, because you asked me about my main theory behind even purchasing now or thinking about purchasing a bigger quantity, even though it's spiked so much. I think there's going to be a lull at some point. I'm not expecting, obviously, this kind of growth indefinitely, right? But I think it's showing that it's some illegitimate source of currency that will gain more exposure with its recent success. I think there's a foundation there that people look up on and be like, okay, this seems like people succeeded with this. This seems like a alternative form of currency that if I don't want to have U.S. dollars or any sort of other traditional currency, I can put hold this, hold it on my hard drive even if I want to. Well, yeah, this kind, of, this form of money in my possession that's not being controlled
0: by the banks or being controlled by the government. Although I agree with that concept, I'll play devil's advocate and argue against that in the sense that you have to differentiate between the technical price action of today and the fundamental implementation of things like Bitcoin and Ether as actual payment in transactions, because. They're not really being used that much yet at all. So it's still almost entirely speculative. So the price action is people becoming interested, but that's speculative and technical price action and not actual fundamental realization of that vision. But I am I very much believe in that potential vision down the road, and that's why I'm interested and invested. And
1: that's, yeah, and that would just fuel that even more, right?
0: Well, exactly. Um, The speculation could could take it well beyond where it might accurately be on a fundamental basis ahead of time. So we could see a huge run-up now. It could burst and come back down to quote-unquote realistic levels and then have a run-up in the future in a couple of years again, like as it becomes actually implemented. I mean, who knows? So then to bring it back to my personal experience, after we did the podcast back in October of 2016... I went and did my own research and I thought about the potential of digital currency in the future because of my skepticism of the central bank's ability to maintain the current fiat financial system globally over the next couple decades. And that gave me the appetite for digital currency because I see the potential in it filling the role and the void that seems to exist where people want to. A currency that can't be just printed into oblivion at the will of a central bank to finance debt-based spending from governments who just print a currency as much as they want. So the practicality and the potential of digital currency attracted me. So not too long after our podcast in October, I went ahead and put 2000 into... I opened up an account and put $2,000 into it and ended up buying 175 ether. I went with ether, I'll talk about that in a minute. In late October 2016 at $11.30 per ether and put in like most of the 2000. I think it was like maybe 20 bucks left over or something. So, about $2000 into ether back in October 2016. Basically, my thesis, like I've been saying, is countries are building up more debt on a nominal and debt to GDP basis than ever before. And Eventually, I think the monetary system is going to break or central banks will have to start printing money like crazy. I mean, that might not be for another decade, two decades, whatever, but I think it's bound to happen. It's just like an inevitability. Since the Federal Reserve in the U.S. was created in like 1913, you look at these things where they talk about the devaluation of the dollar, how it's lost like 93% of its value since 1913. We have a central bank guarantee that they will print more money in the future and deflate the currency, which creates inflation. That's why we know of, we hear of inflation. Inflation happens because they continuously print more money. Anyway, coupled with the shock of 2008, I think if there's another crisis, I think it will be enough to cause people to lose faith in the central banks and the current system and start to seek alternative forms of money and money issuance. When that happens, I think digital currencies will be able to fill that void and people would be willing to use them in everyday transactions, the same as if you were swiping a debit card. Because, I mean, what's the difference? If you just had a debit card that was linked to your online wallet or whatever, that had your Bitcoin or Ether or whatever, you know, you had your digital currency on your card, pretty much the same as it is today. It's just instead of dollars, it's whatever the online currency is. That hasn't actually happened yet, and people aren't really using digital currencies to make transactions yet. So it's still purely speculative. But to put it into perspective on how huge digital currencies could become, this is how I'm looking at it. The US money supply, so there's different measures. Like you could look at just purely cash that's been printed, but then you can look at like checking accounts, because those, that's mostly electronic. And then you can look at money market mutual funds, all this stuff. Well, the, they have different measures. There's like M1 money supply, which is very pure currency kind of thing. That's $3.4 trillion versus like M2 money supply, which is $13.5 trillion, which includes savings accounts and money market accounts. But th- those are still worth counting as cash, in my opinion. So the US money supply, we're talking $13.5 trillion, and that's only dollars, let alone like euros, yen, pounds, all those things. So the point of that is that if you think about digital currencies replacing things like dollars, a euro, yen, all that, and that's how many dollars we need to transact our business and how many euros we need to transact our business, what if that was the market cap of digital currencies? So as of this recording, the entire market cap of all digital currencies is somewhere around $75 billion versus the M2 money supply of dollars, which is 13.5 trillion. So if Digital currencies were to replace the current M2 money supply of dollars alone, let alone world currencies, it would still have 180 times upside from today. 180 times. That's 18,000%. So the point to me is that even if digital currencies become 10% of that, the, US yeah, because money you don't want
1: to, because that kind of event, it would have to be like a cataclysmic event where all entire digital currencies are eradicated, right? That would take a complete, almost meltdown the entire economic system, right?
0: Yeah, I'm just trying to give perspective
1: yeah, of what yeah,
0: that would be. And if we think about the evolution of the money system, looking over the uh, time period of the next several decades, I'm not talking about tomorrow. But anyway, that's the thinking for me in terms of people losing faith in the central banks and digital currencies replacing some of the current fiat money that's used by central banks. So I bought Ether over Bitcoin on the basis of its ability to grow more in percentage terms than Bitcoin because it was younger and newer and had less investment in it. And then also its enhanced security and the flexibility in its smart contracts that enable more diverse usage and application of Ether over Bitcoin. And then since then, I was kinda of lucky in terms of finding out that banks had started to back Ether as well and they formed a consortium to back Ether. Anyway, like I said, I got in back in like late October at eleven dollars and thirty cents an Ether and now it's one sixty, it was like one ninety yesterday, it's kinda of all over the place. So looking at my account, I put two thousand dollars into my account and now it's showing as twenty eight thousand dollars. So we're up like 26000 since then.
1: Wow.
0: All right, so bringing in Stephen Nagao, do you have anything to say about just the status and whatnot?
2: Uh, I, I just wanted to say real briefly about smart contracts. I think that's the the future of Bitcoin or just of cryptocurrencies in general. I think that's why well, I haven't invested in any right now. What you just said about Ether and smart contracts is something that speaks piqued my interest. But... I was actually going to, and this is really organic, like when we were supposed to do it, it Saturday, the next day I just got an email from Medium, medium.com, like the microblogging website. Somebody wrote a Medium post about Litecoin, an alternative uh, cryptocurrency, and they talked about what they're starting. It's called Yours. It's the social media platform that's peer-to-peer. So basically Facebook or Reddit where users can monetize on a peer-to-peer basis using Litecoin, an alternative to Bitcoin. But I just like what they said about smart contracts and how the future of cryptocurrencies involves having a smart contract network. I'm just kinda of curious, like how much like on a percentage of zero to hundred, how much do you guys think that people actually know about the like the technical aspect of Bitcoin or how much do you people how much do you think people are just
1: riding this that's, wave? That's what I, I mentioned this earlier. I think largely my theory for why there's so much upside with this, I think it's largely still very unknown. Because I think a big, I mean, you guys probably mentioned this, but, like, ever since the election, I think more people have been pouring money into
2: cryptocurrencies as a quote-unquote alternative to
1: More relatively. But it's still, like, very, very young, and there's no exposure. Like I was saying, the media is still not covering this, largely. You can find articles on, like, CNBC.com, or I think there's probably an article on Wall Street Journal, but, like, it's not being covered on the main news sites. Like, your casual investor or casual consumer is not probably does not know about this. Well, I'd say 90% of the people, if you just go around and do a random survey, cannot tell you what Bitcoin is. Probably like 98% can't tell you what Ether is, right?
0: If we think about the internet itself, when it was in its pioneer days, like in the mid-90s, it started going crazy. Yeah. And, and then everyone started creating websites and businesses started popping out of nowhere and then growing yeah. ultra-fast. And there was a lot of money to be gained there. Most people didn't understand what was going on and didn't really know how to use the Internet and were just learning. And it went through hyper growth and then basically a bubble and popped eventually. But then over the course of the next several years, moving into like after the 2000s, then more businesses started to form and it it had matured. And now we have tech 2.0 after the recession where now we have Twitter and Airbnb and Facebook and Google and all this stuff that is now just part of the backdrop of uh, we just accept it as yeah, normal. So if, if even, we have even this... Even though
1: with Internet, I mean, even though with that bubble burst, I mean, the Internet was still indispensable, right? That was not going to go away.
0: Yeah, exactly. So is we there could... anything
1: we might still have with cryptocurrencies? There, there's another burst in the tanks. I mean, is there, you think it's still going to legitimately still be traded upon and, and such a... I mean, the market with the cap being $80 billion... You would think this is not something that's just going to go away, even for tanks, but I don't know if you have any thoughts on
0: that. I would personally expect that there should be a pullback. That this is just like a speculative yeah. run right now.
1: It's, but uh, yeah, it's so volatile, man. It, I I think so too. Like there's going to be some sort of big lull or dip at some point.
0: But to me, it's like the level of debt globally is almost a guarantee for this in my mind. Not necessarily for ether or bitcoin, like who knows about that. But the level of debt is a guarantee that something has to happen. Now I That's we don't know time. what that time. is. We don't know what that is. But I'm saying like I'm willing to bet some money that digital currency will be the answer because we need some answer.
1: Yeah, yeah, and that definitely legitimizes a very long, long term view of this. Right, this is the end game type thing where it replaces fiat currencies. But like you said, that could be decades from now, right? That's something you cannot predict. But I think even the the relatively
0: shorter long-term, I think this is legitimate as well. There's more awareness for it. Well, so where do you think we go from here?
1: Well, I mean, I wonder if you guys also think socioeconomically with the current political climate, if that might also be influencing the for it, and people getting a little wary of what's going on politically. Yeah, I think so. That's what I was edging at earlier.
2: I think people are just kind of curious and concerned. Look everyone ever since the election 1984 the novel just skyrocketed so people are really in that okay the world's about to end kind of mind state so let's just play it safe buy some cryptocurrencies and see how george orwell wrote it out for us i mean (laughs) uh, did
0: did he write about bitcoin
2: but the thing is history kind of repeats itself we're just getting into the groove of the 21st century like you're saying dallas about where we stand on global debt A lot of the economic principles and concepts are based on old world models, and so this debt-based economy is eventually going to burst its bubble. A lot of sovereign nations are going to fight for scraps. Um, I think having an online network that helps to evolve this type of technology when it comes to cryptocurrency is something that people still see value in, so I think that's part of the reason, but I think another part of just straight-up fear.
1: People are kind of concerned, and they feel like playing it safe, and then buying cryptocurrencies. But interesting at the same time, like the market's still going strong. So I, I mean, I, I guess I understand that the Republican-Trump policy is going to be very pro-business, and maybe that's what's fueling the still growth in the market. Well, I think and there's I, a lot of... You know, I was just reading earlier today, he
2: kind of wants to... Trump wants to make the dollar cheaper so more countries overseas can buy more U.S. goods. So Winning, I mean, winning the trade war? Yeah, th- those type of things are still... Because you never know what type of interactions we don't know until it comes out in the news, you know, like what these deals different nations have or, or how trade policies impact war and conflict. So there's a lot that needs to be resolved. I mean, smoke and mirrors maybe, or maybe the dust hasn't settled. common person doesn't see it, but of course those behind closed doors, those who have the powers that be are, are making decisions headway. Right away. So, I mean, I don't know, man. It's just like from a fundamentally sound investment principle, you buy low, sell high. So I feel like Everything is being sold really high right now. So I'm just kind of waiting,
1: not just because it's going to crash, but just waiting wisely on when to buy. I really got to you have cash on hand. And I think like, you don't want to invest in the market. I think cryptocurrency might be a great place just to put some money in, purchase cryptocurrency and just diversify your assets. And I think that could be a basic plus for this, too.
0: Yeah, definitely another venue for diversification. But in a liquidity crisis, all assets become correlated. And what I mean by that is if people are strapped for cash, they sell anything to get cash. So it doesn't matter if they're unrelated because the relation is people want money. And so in bad times, theoretically, anything can go down.
2: Okay, that's what you're saying. So in bad times, all assets become correlated.
0: Well, no, like in 2008, when things were really, really bad, people just had to sell whatever to get cash to pay off debts and stuff. Right, right. Okay, so we're going to cut it off there. But if things keep going crazy in the digital currency arena, then we can come back and do another update and talk about more details of the different currencies and the price action and all that. And then we could even talk about how to invest in digital currencies and set up an account because it's actually not that complicated. But we'll see what happens over the next like week or two. Anyway, thanks for joining us, guys.
1: Thank you, me. Good to talk to you, man.
0: All right, catch us next time on another episode of the Post Money Plan Podcast.